you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. It is uh, a great day. Praise be to Jesus. Thursday, December the 2nd. There's some great headlines to discuss today. A uh, Catholic bishop in Spain gets married, has twins on the way. Uh Uh-huh. We're going to cover that in the What's Concerning Us. Hey, don't worry. The Catholic president, Joe Biden, he is in full support of abortion in the midst of a fight on the Supreme Court over Roe v. Wade. We're going to be covering that story tomorrow in greater detail, um, but uh, that headline is going around. And then, of course, the the suspected Waukesha parade killer complains he's being demonized and dehumanized. We might cover a little bit of that in the What's Concerning Us. So there's so much to talk about coming up at 15 past the hour. But in our guest segment today, the pandemic of indifference is infecting the body of Christ. Eric Sammons, Chief editor of Crisis Magazine, is going to be our guest today to talk about his book, Deadly Indifference. And we're looking forward to that conversation coming up at 35 past the hour. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Praise be to God. It's good to see you. I I was going to say sunny California, but it's still early out there, I guess. Uh, Anything in the headlines that surprised you today? <laughs> yeah. Of course, we had the Democrat out of New Hampshire, Shaheen, who's threatened rebellion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. And then we had the demonstrators yesterday on the court, on the steps of the Supreme Court taking abortion pills as a way uh, to uh, protest the conversation being had, the ar- all the arguments uh, on the Supreme Court. So it is absolutely bizarre. Speaking of which, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Howdy, howdy. Good it's morning. good to be here. Praise be to God. In spite of it all? In spite of it all, it's good to be here. Speaking of bizarre, right? <laughs> That's right. Amen, amen. It's, is it bizarre that you're here? I'm, I'm, I'm confused, but okay. Mm, no, uh, maybe not that I'm here, but mm-hmm. just that I am. <laughs> mm, deep thoughts with Adrian Fonseca. Ego aim uh, by six, Adrian six Fonseca. Mm-hmm. Ego aim. <laughs> amen, amen, brother. All right, well, praise be to God. We are going to have a great conversation uh, today uh, in this hour, but I want to just remind you that you know, this is a special week across the GRN, which is uh, where we host the Catholic Drive Time, uh, as it's share week, which means our second hour is not normal this week. It'll go back to normal on Monday, praise be to God. Uh, but this week, our second hour gets pushed back to 9 a.m. Central, 10 Eastern. Uh, you can always hang out with us on the social feeds, which we have linked up on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. But this week, we are trying to raise money to keep our radio apostolate on the air, which reminds me to say, please, my dear listener, consider supporting your local Catholic radio station. That local station depends upon your help. So wherever you are uh, this morning, and uh, we're grateful that you are listening this morning, praise be to God. You know, just make sure that a portion of your hard-earned money is going towards 
your Catholic radio apostolate. In an era where we have seemingly forgotten our mission to evangelize the world, well, this is a way to keep uh, evangelization alive, to use the powerful medium of Catholic radio to support the work of trying to convert people to towards the goal of salvation of souls. So anyway, please do support your local Catholic radio station, whatever station you are listening to now. It would make a big difference. But if you want to join us in our second hour, please do so. Just go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, and you can watch us live there, or you can find the links to watch us live elsewhere as well. But all of that today on Catholic Drive Time, Eric Sammons is going to be our guest. Let's pray and let's get started. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headlines with Rudy Carlos.
The saint of the day is Saint Bibiana, and born in the 4th century. Saint Bibiana was a heroic Roman girl, the daughter of a father and mother who were both saints. Her sister was also a saint. All four of his family were martyred for the Catholic faith. Her father, Saint Flavian, his feast day is on December 22nd. Her sister, Saint Demetria, her feast is on June 21st. And Saint Dafrosa, the mother of Saint Bibiana, and her feast is on January 4th. This is how the holy little family is scattered through the year in liturgical love. It was Julian the Apostate in 363 who martyred Saint Bibiana. He could not induce her to give up either her faith or her chastity. Even though she was tied to a pillar and scourged with metal ropes. When she died, her body was thrown to the dogs. It was rescued by a Catholic priest. There is a great church dedicated to St. Bibiana in Rome. Her mother and her sister are buried with her. She died and was martyred in the 4th century. St. Bibiana, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, and then 24 through 27. Jesus said to his disciples, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house. But it did not collapse. It had been set solidly on rock. And everyone who listens to these words of mine but does not act on them will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Haydock's commentary said, Here Jesus shows that it is not sufficient to believe in him and hear his words, but that in order to salvation we must join works with faith, for in this shall we be examined at the last day. St. Hilary would say, They even assure themselves of glory for their prophesying and teaching, for their casting out demons, for their mighty works, and hence promise themselves the kingdom of heaven, saying, Have we not prophesied in thy name? You know, this particular passage reminds me of the good old days when I was knee-deep in in Catholic apologetics and dealing with non-Catholics, especially on the issue of salvation and faith alone. And this passage reminds us that it's not good enough to simply believe. It's like as if my, as uh, to steal the analogy I heard many, many years ago from Dr. Hahn, you know, as if I were to find my son in his, in his messy bedroom, laying on his bed, and I said, son, you got to clean your room. And he's like, yeah, dad, yeah. Like as if that would be good enough. Yeah, I believe, dad, I believe I ought to clean my room. Like, would that cut it? Absolutely not. You're going to do more than just believe me. You're going to get up and you're going to start working. That's part of the work of the family, right? Well, the work of this family and the work is salvation of souls to evangelize the whole world. We're going to be having that conversation coming up at 35 past the hour with Eric Sammons. Haydock's commentary goes on to say, but the strongest faith without works of justice will not be available to salvation. Let that sink in for a moment. Many 
who have the Lord continually in their mouths, but care little about putting on the Lord or penetrating themselves with his true spirit, will find their presumption and the false consciences they have made to themselves woefully disappointed. St. Chrysostom would say, here again, our Savior dispenses his reward to such as order their lives according to his instructions. Did you get that? We have to order our lives according to his instruction. But as before, he promised the kingdom of heaven, divine consolations, and other rewards. So here he promises them the numberless blessings attendant on virtue in this life. You've got to have virtue. You've got to seek justice as well. The just alone are surrounded with virtue as with a strong guard and amidst the high swelling waves of worldly troubles enjoy a calm and unchangeable tranquility. Thus was Job strengthened by his virtue against the attacks of both men and Satan. Morally, according to St. Ignatius' Catholic commentary today, the enduring uh, house is like the soul. It is maintained only through labor and the materials of prayer and virtue grounded on Christ. St. Augustine would say, none of these things that would you know, harm us or trouble us or give us fear, trepidation, none of these things does he fear who has his house founded upon a rock. That is, who not only hears the command of the Lord, but also does it. And in all these, he submits himself to danger, who hears and does not. As St. Paul would say in Romans 2, God judges based on our works. Let our lives be so transformed by what we believe, and let us act like it. We'll be right back. What's Concerning Us is coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. The Gospels make clear Jesus claimed to be God. But should we believe Him? I think we should. And here's the reason why. The alternatives don't make sense. It's unreasonable to think Jesus was lying because He died for His claim to be God. Mark's Gospel makes it clear that the Sanhedrin sentenced Jesus to death for blasphemy. And Jesus accepted it. People don't die for what they know to be a lie. Okay, you say, well, maybe he wasn't a liar, but perhaps he was delusional, a lunatic. I don't think this explanation works either. All the historical evidence suggests Jesus was a pretty wise guy. Even those who deny Jesus' divinity accept this. But if that's the case, well then, don't you think he's wise enough to know who he is? So, if Jesus is neither a liar nor a lunatic, then he must be who he says he is, namely Lord. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past this hour, Eric Sammons, he is the chief editor at Crisis Magazine. He has a book out called Deadly Indifference, How the Church Lost Her Mission 
and how we can reclaim it. So that's coming up at 35 past the hour, the deadly indifference of our times. And boy, is there so many examples to talk about. Here's an example and one of the concerning stories. They are very concerning to me, as I, as I, I'm sure they are concerning to many of you as well. But this is coming out of the Daily Caller. This headline, suspected Waukesha parade killer complains he's being demonized and dehumanized. Wow. Okay. Here's a little bit of the story. Anyway, the alleged suspect of the Waukesha Christmas Parade Massacre spoke out for the first time since the event in a new courthouse interview. Fox News reported Daryl Brooks Jr. 39 told Fox News digital reporters from his jail cell from Waukesha County Jail. He feels, quote, dehumanized, unquote. He said he goes on to say, quote, I just feel like I'm being monster demonized, unquote. Brooks told reporters, according to Fox News. Wow. Um, Very interesting comments that you're being dehumanized since you ran over so many people. Six are dead. Over 60 are are still uh, reeling from their wounds as a result to, to those actions that day. Let us pray for this situation. To be sure. Hey, good news, I guess. Your president, Joe Biden, uh, Catholic, uh, is giving his support to Roe v. Wade. And I'm sure he'll continue to receive communion as well. Here's the story that concerns me the most today, I think. This is a story out of the National Catholic Register. Spanish bishop gets civilly married. I want you to let that sink in. No, we are not talking about the personal ordinary of the chair of St. Peter kind of thing. And either way, those bishops can't also, it's only one is, maybe, how many bishops are there in the Anglican ordinary? Maybe two? I know there's one in America, maybe there's one in, in England as well. And neither of them can be married, uh, let alone have kids. But the priests can, so that's possible. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a novus ordo, regular, run-of-the-mill, Roman Catholic bishop in Spain gets civilly married. This should be a very concerning story, and I think goes is nicely paired with our upcoming conversation with Eric Sammons as well. Here's a little bit of the story. Solansono, uh, Spain, Bishop Xavier Novell, who unexpectedly resigned in August as Bishop of Sol, Solsona, Solsona, what did I say before? Solsona, Spain, entered into a civil marriage with Silvia on November the 22nd. As reported, as reported by Catalan Television TV3, the marriage ceremony took place on Monday at the courthouse in Surya, in Barcelona province, and was attended by only two witnesses. According to this same source, last Friday, the couple asked the Justice of the Peace that the wedding take place on Monday outside normal hours, as the Justice of the Peace and Civil Registry of Surya are only open Tuesday through Friday. That's hilarious. I'm, I think it's funny that's even part of the story, to be honest with you. A priest or bishop who has not received a dispensation from the clerical state from the, Va- the Vatican commits a canonical crime by contracting a civil marriage, which by virtue of his state as a vowed celibate is invalid from the canonical point of view. Canon 194, the Code of Canon Law, stipulates that, quote, the cleric who attempts to marry even if only civilly, unquote, goes on to say, quote, will be removed from ecclesiastical office, unquote. Canon 1394 adds that, quote, a cleric who attempts marriage, even if only civilly, incurs a late sententia or immediate suspension. If he does not repent after being warned 
and continues to give scandal. He can be punished gradually by privations or even by dismissal from the clerical state, unquote. After learning of Bishop Novell's intentions to marry, Cardinal Juan Jose Omela, the Archbishop of Barcelona, said on October the 19th in an interview with Cadena SER Radio in Catalina uh, that the Bishop Emeritus of Solsona, Solsona, quote, can only opt for a civil marriage because he is still a bishop. If he does this, he already knows what will come next. But I am not entering into judgment and condemnation. This morbidness, morbidness tastes very bad to me, and that doesn't help those who have faith, unquote. Pope Francis accepted the resignation of Bishop Novell as bishop on August the 23rd. I guess it's that sentence for me from this particular cardinal who says, I am not entering into judgment or condemnation. Like, why? why I wonder, I'm curious, what, your, your eminence, why did you feel the need to include this particular sentence in your statement. Why? I am not entering into judgment or condemnation. A bishop of the Catholic Church, an avowed celibate, as the article states, has gotten civilly married, and you don't feel the need to enter into judgment? Um, I think that's mind-boggling to me. Of well, This is... This is a scandal within the church to see. And by the way, the bishop, the archbishop in Paris, France, his resignation was accepted as well because he had an inappropriate relationship with a female back in 2012. And uh, so scandals within the church aren't new, of course. They've been around a very long time since the beginning. However, um, this is a very troubling story, and I think it speaks to the infection of indifference in our church today. The article goes on to talk about how... uh, this particular person whom the, whom this bishop is now civilly married to uh, is an author. Her name is Sylvia. She has written erotic novels with satanic overtones, according to this article. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the article also says that they're expecting twins. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. Uh, the cra- I think the craziest part about this is actually the fact that... I- they're saying, "Oh, I'm not. I can't. I can't judge this bishop." That's the craziest thing about this, because in the past, there's been bishops who've had marriages, bishops who've sired children. This happened throughout history all the time. But the difference was they tried to keep it hush hush, didn't want anybody to know about it. They realized it was scandalous, so they would say, "Oh, that's not my son. That's my nephew," or things like that, because uh, so, they don't want to let people know. Now it's just like, well, I mean, it happened. It happened. Oh well. <laughs> right. And uh, there's no even attempt to be like. Oh, this is not. This is not good. This is very bad. It's less than ideal. It's less than ideal, <laughs> and that's I think one of the worst parts about it. Yeah, it gives further scandal. It, it sort of makes it feel like oh, we can't. We can never judge anybody. We can never. We can never condemn anything. I mean, good grief. Uh, we all know murder is wrong. I mean, mm. it's called natural law. You know, for Advent, I've decided to meditate one more time on uh, on the letter to the Romans by Saint Paul, and it it is so clear. It start the letter starts with making these start types of distinctions. We can dis- we can make these distinctions on good versus evil, right versus wrong, and he even uses that to condemn the Jews who have the law but don't follow it, and the pagans who don't have the law but yet. Yet inherently, because of natural law, follow it anyway. I mean, this is the point here. This bishop knows. He gave his word. It's not as though someone put a gun to his head and said, listen, you're going to go to seminary, and then you're going to become a celibate, and if you don't, we're going to harm you. Like, nobody ever threatened this man. 
Nobody ever said, you have to go down this route and never have a relationship with another uh, woman ever again. Like, nobody ever did that to him. He chose, he discerned through the process, God's holy will for his life. And when they laid hands on him and ordained him, he did so of his free will. And yet, he has abandoned that vocation. And he has thrown the truth out the door and rationalized things. And this for this cardinal to then to say, well, we don't want to judge. I mean, are you, we are left with nothing but judgment at this point. Mm. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because the 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 first story you mentioned about the the man who ran over and murdered all those people at the parade and whenever he says you know that people are dehumanizing me and demonizing me it's it, that that what the first thing that struck me about that was saint thomas's article on capital punishment i was uh in the secunda secunde article two whether it is lawful to kill sinners and he in that article in his reply to objection three he actually says for a bad man is worse than a beast and is more harmful and so he's saying, like, uh, so this, uh, that struck me because I was thinking about that. I was like, really, it's not dehumanizing you. You have dehumanized yourself. And St. Thomas makes that point because he says, whenever you take your natural free will, which you were just talking about with this bishop, when you take your natural free will and exist for yourself and not for God, you become and you fall into, quote, the slavish state of the beast. St. Thomas is very clear whenever he talks about these things, when he's, he's saying that the reason, the thing that separates us from the animals is our free will yeah. and our ability to do the good, to choose the good. Right. But when we choose the evil, when we choose these things, we're worse than the animals. Mm. Not because because animals don't choose to do weird and gross and bad things because they don't have free will. They just rely on instinct and they do the things they do. They have, they're not morally culpable. But we choose to do evil. Yeah. And when we choose to do evil, exactly. we are worse than and animals. I, and that's part of the attack of Satan, right? Uh, his rebellion against God uh, due to man having this incredible role in the, in the plan and history of salvation to make us choose to be something below the dignity that God has given to us, to act in a way that is not only subhuman, but in many ways, as you point out, sub-animal. I mean, that's how far down we're, we're going, and it's, it's insane. But I guess it goes to the point as well as where is, the, where is the charity for this particular bishop who has now seemingly not only abandoned his post because he he's been resigned uh, from his, uh, his uh, position as bishop in this diocese in Spain, so he's no longer the active bishop there, but yet he has an indelible mark on his soul. He was ordained. So that doesn't go away. You don't wash that off. It doesn't happen. They could be reduced to the lay state, but that doesn't mean that that indelible mark goes away. He's always going to be a priest, right? And, and furthermore, a bishop. And yet he gets married in a civil court? Does he not even know or understand the sacrament of matrimony? Was it not his job as bishop to teach the lay faithful what the sacrament of matrimony even was? And yet he goes to a court to get married to this woman who is now pregnant? I mean, it boggles the mind. Did he at ever at any point understand the faith? That's the question in my mind. I mean, golly gee whiz, how do you go from understanding and being the man whose job it is, by definition, to teach the faith to the faithful in your diocese, to throwing it all out the door and just going to the local courthouse and getting married? How does that, how, how do you do that? How do you divorce your mind and understanding and intellect with your will? 
in that that badly? Now, the answer is, obviously, it's concupiscence. It's sin. We rationalize our choices. I mean, golly gee whiz, the next time I smell a, a bacon burger with blue cheese on it and some barbecue sauce, I mean, I'm highly tempted. Do I need to eat that? Heck no, but boy, does it ever taste good. So I may need to eat one or ten. You see what I'm saying? We rationalize our choices based on concupiscence, which is why we are reminded every Advent season that the thing most needed to be focused on is repentance. It is, it is to offer up our sufferings. It is to go to holy confession on a frequent basis, to return to the Lord with all of our heart. It is a mini Lent to prepare the way for the Lord. So let us do that. And let us offer some sufferings and sacrifices, some fasting and some penance for this bishop who has been wayward, for charity for his soul, and maybe for the conversion of Sylvia, a divorcee with two kids and two more on the way at the hand of this bishop. We'll be right back. Breaking news and stories with Rudy Carlos and Eric Sammons is up next. Don't go anywhere. Tell a friend. Shining through darkness, Advent joy lights the night air. For kindly St. Nicholas was making his way there. But wait for a moment, there's a pause in his plan. We're reminded Santa's priority should be that of every woman and man. For peace to flourish and love to abound, our souls must come home. The King of Kings must be found. For centuries, wise men sought the Savior first. Knowing only Jesus can quench our heart's greatest thirst. So come home to Mass and celebrate the holy Christian season. For love is born tonight. Our hope for heaven, the reason. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you.
Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, uh, Rudy, for keeping us up today. We're very grateful to you. Praise be to God. Joining us right now via Zoom chat is Eric Sammons. He is the chief editor over at Crisis Magazine. He also has a book out called Deadly Indifference, How the Church Lost Her Mission and How We Can Reclaim It. Good morning to you, Eric Sammons. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Praise be to God. We are alive. And that counts. How are you? Very good. We're go- I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. Praise be to Jesus. I, I, very, very busy, I see. And that's a good thing. So uh, books, life, family, uh, Crisis Magazine, anything else on your plate? No, that, that's about it. Yeah, it's good to keep busy, keep you out of trouble, hopefully, or put you into more <laughs> trouble sometimes. But, you know. <laughs> yes, I do, unfortunately. Uh, I think it's a fascinating topic and very and one that we, we should have more often. I was just reading a story during the What's Concerning Us segment about this bishop in Spain who who not only resigned but got civilly married to a woman, a divorced woman who writes erotic, satanic overtoned novels. I mean, it just, it's boggling to the mind how we as a church seemingly have lost our way so badly. Um, we, we rationalize everything. The cardinal in response to, hi, to him actually even made the statement to say, hey, I don't want to judge. You know, I don't want to enter into judgment here. Like, really? <laughs> like, isn't that your job as a prince of the church? I mean, I think it's in the description. Uh, and here we are it, dealing with this pandemic of indifference infecting the body of Christ. Tell me about your book. Yeah, so that, that's basically what it's about, the fact that for too long now, uh, Catholics from all levels, all levels of the church have been essentially indifferent to the mission of the church. You know, I think a lot of us who have been in the corporate world, we make fun of those mission statements a lot of times that they, they put out because they're usually kind of dumb and they're, it's just like, it's not that big a deal. But the fact is, is that any successful corporation does have a very clear mission and everybody who works for it knows what the mission is, whether it's to sell Coke or you know, P&G to sell their domestic products, whatever the case may be, they have a mission that everybody knows. And the fact is, is that I would, I would argue, from my experience, at least, and from what I've seen from polls and everything, is that the vast majority of Catholics, including Catholic leaders, don't really know what the mission of the church is, or they've, they've replaced the, the true mission with something else. And just you know, to spoil alert, the mission is to save souls. And, and I think that's, and I think that's what's forgotten by so many Catholics, including Catholic leaders that the church is here to save souls. And that's really its only mission. Yes, we do other things like charitable works or, or whatever, maybe get involved with uh, what's going on in the public sphere, something like that. But that's all directed towards the salvation of soul. So that's what's, not the in. That's not the in purpose of the church. What's the implication of us forgetting that end goal of the salvation of souls? I think, and on the practical level, is what happens is it turns our parishes into social clubs. That's something I've seen over and over again, where parishes are treated as if they're just another social club. They they do these nice activities. Maybe they have a sports team. They might have, uh, you know, sports teams. They might have a book club and things like that. And so when they're treated as parishes are treated as social clubs, they really just, they serve no purpose in in an increasingly secular world. They don't, they're not distinctive in any way. So if somebody, let's say somebody is lost out there and they're trying to find more meaning in life, they're not going to go to the Elks Club. And unfortunately, they might look at the local Catholic parish in the same way because it, it acts in the same way. And so they're looking for something much greater than that. And that's why, for example, um, a lot, Islam it, it has, has a lot of success in bringing in converts because they're very clear about what they're here for and, and they're very clear about their mission. And so 
what happens is we lose people, you know, over and over, but we also don't gain people either because, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not, parishes aren't only a social club. They're a bad social club. They're not, Mm. you know, they bad music often. They don't, you know, really do a great job of it anyway. So there's, it just causes a loss of faith and a loss of uh, converts and a lot of people walking out the door. You know, I was thinking about the North American martyrs the other day and how much they gave, suffered joyfully, uh, actually, to win souls among the Native American peoples here in America and Canada, uh, tortured re- relentlessly, ruthlessly, diabolically, uh, and did so with a great uh, with a great joy on their hearts. Um, we often think of missionaries today. When we send missionaries out, we you know we help to cover missionary costs. We like to fund these missionaries, uh, but we don't hear about conversions. We hear about their social works. We hear about them feeding the poor, or running orphanages, all great things. Praise be to God. It should be that. And but how often are we never hearing about the conversions, whether they are in foreign countries or in my own backyard? Why is that? Right. If you look at the, the writings of the North American Mars, whom I love, if you look at the writings, especially, you know, St. Isaac Jogues, he made it very clear exactly why he was going through this, why he was willing to, to cross the, the ocean, which in that time, you know, wasn't an easy thing to do, go to this foreign land, go to this very violent land, and to suffer and eventually to die for the faith. He did it because he believed that the people here, the Native Americans, were in danger of going to hell. I mean, that's what he believed. He believed if they were not baptized, they were likely going to go to hell. And so he felt like, because I love them, because I love them so greatly, I want eternal life for them, I will do everything I can to bring baptism to them. And what happened, though, is we, through, as I detail in the book, uh, a lot of different reasons, we've lost that sense of, okay, we really need to uh, understand that those who are not baptized, those who are outside the Catholic Church, are in danger of eternal damnation, because that's the driving force of missionary work. And if you look at the numbers, missionary work plummeted after we stopped emphasizing that, after we stopped reminding Catholics, hey, you know, we need people to become Catholic in order to be saved. Once we stopped talking about that, missionary work plummeted, and the missionary work that was left, like you said, has mostly become just simply social work, which is good in and of itself, but that's not really what missionaries are supposed to do. They're supposed to bring about conversions to Jesus Christ. Uh, we're just about a minute away from a break. Uh, is it possible to bring back missionaries that will actually have the mission of converting souls? Do you think that's possible? I do think it's possible, but I think it's a long process. We, we've taken a while to get to this point, and I think it'll take a while to turn it around. And I think it starts at the home and at the parish level of emphasizing the importance of being Catholic and the distinctiveness of being Catholic. And so even little things like Catholic identity, like the season of Advent, if we if we treat it as a season of Advent, not just a shopping season or, or we start Christmas already, those little things start to distinguish the Catholic faith from other faiths. All right, hold that thought. Eric Sammons is our guest. His book is Deadly Indifference, How the Church Lost Her Mission and How We Can Reclaim It. We're going to have that conversation about salvation outside the church right after this very short break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard someone say that they don't like the Catholic Church because it's so dogmatic? Well, G.K. Chesterton says, You cannot live without dogmas. You cannot act for 24 hours without making a decision based on some deeply held belief that you cannot prove. 
Man can be defined as an animal that makes dogmas. Trees have no dogmas. Turnips are singularly broad-minded. In truth, there are only two kinds of people. Those who accept dogmas and know it, and those who accept dogmas and don't know it. So when someone objects to the Catholic Church for being too dogmatic, it only means that they are dogmatic against it, even though they have no idea what their own dogmas are. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. Glorianshine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Glorianshine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At Glorianshine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, Glorianshine.com. Thank you again. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Eric Sammons is our guest. His book is Deadly Indifference, How the Church Lost Her Mission and How We Can Reclaim It. You can find that at uh, ericsammons.com, by the way. That's ericsammons.com. Check it out. Uh, Great book. Eric, welcome back to the program. Uh, Thanks right so much be- for having me again. Right before the break, we were talking about whether or not we can get missionaries back to work to saving souls, and uh, Adrian and I were arguing over uh, Jesuits versus Franciscans during the break, but that's another for another day. <laughs> um, let's talk about salvation outside the church. Uh, this has been a conversation that has uh, raged, I think, probably since Vatican II. Um, we see a lot of indifference when it comes to ecumenical outreach, and there have been many, many stories of people who have been told, there's no need to convert. You're fine right where you are. We can all just get along. What is the story there? What is truth? What is fiction? Right. So really, when we talk about salvation outside the church, the first thing we have to note is, it is a dogma of the Catholic Church. And it has been since the beginning that the Catholic Church believes that there is no salvation outside the church. And it also believes that the Catholic Church is the church being talked about here. So that's that's the dogma. And it's just simply has to be accepted by Catholics. Although I'm well aware of the fact that probably a, a majority of Catholics don't really accept it or don't know about it. And so that's the dogma. And, and the theology behind it is very strong. It, it goes back all the way to the Old Testament times and things of that nature. But what's happened is, is that the church has thought about this and theologians and saints have thought about this over the centuries. And so they have realized that there is some let's just say theological loophole, so to speak, in this, in the sense that it is possible that somebody who is visibly outside the Catholic Church could be saved, hypothetically. We don't, we don't tell God what he can and cannot do. And so it is possible. But what's happened is they've turned that, that, that possibility, when I say they, I mean like church leaders and Catholics in general, have turned that possibility into a norm, into a, uh, a presumption that those who are outside the church will be saved. And so what happens is, is it, it completely undercut our, our missionary zeal, our desire to share the faith with others, because we just think, well, they're still going to be saved. But that's not, that's not really the way it should be. So on a theological level, yes, at a high level, we could talk about maybe there are certain ways in which somebody could be saved who is a not baptized member of the Catholic Church, possibly. But on a practical level, what we need to be hearing from our 
church leaders is our responsibility as Catholics, though, is to share the faith with everybody we know and to encourage people to become Catholic. Because otherwise, we're presuming upon God doing something that he is not guaranteed he will do. He has guaranteed, he has promised that if we are baptized Catholics, if we leave the Catholic faith, then, then we will be saved. He has not promised that anybody else will be. And so it's to presume that he would, that he would save somebody else, it, it, it frankly is a sin. And so what we need to do is we need to uh, just presume, okay, if you're not Catholic, you need to become Catholic. And that should be the driving force of our evangelist, evangelistic message. Well, I think that's the only way it's going to happen, to be honest. Uh, I, I just think we, we've seen that we've been disappointed by many of our church leaders. Yes, there are some good ones, and you know we should pray for all of them. But I think ultimately, it has to begin from the ground up, because obviously, all of our church leaders, they were all, every single one of them was a lay person at one time, and they were part of a lay family. And so that's the long-term solution, because it's been a long-term problem. There is no quick fix. There's no way we're going to all of a sudden turn it all around tomorrow. But if we have solid Catholic families raising their kids in a, a solid Catholic way, then those solid Catholic kids will become, you know, the, 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 some of those boys will become solid Catholic priests who will then eventually become solid Catholic bishops. But obviously that's a long time now because if you, but the, the truth is if you have, let's say you have a boy who's five, your son, if you're teaching him the Catholic faith now, you're living it out, you're, you're emphasizing what the church teaches to him from the beginning, then one day, you know, 50 years from now, he might become a bishop who is a holy and saintly bishop. And so we may not even see the results of that, but that really is the long-term solution is to build Catholic faith in your family, in your parish, in your community. That, that's really the, the long-term solution. And it's not, it's not an easy one. I wish I had a quick fix, but I don't think one exists. So I want to ask about, you know, we're going to get to baptism of infants uh, because we see more and more of people not baptizing their children. I know personally, my roommate, uh, he was uh, a, he was born Catholic, meaning his parents were Catholic, his family was Catholic, but he never got baptized. He got baptized two years ago when he came back to the faith and he was like, I didn't even realize my parents didn't baptize me. And he became very upset, very angry about that. And I'm thinking about the story of St. Francis Xavier. We were just, me and Joe and I were talking about this during the break of St. Francis Xavier walking to Japan, his feet bloody, where there's blood steps and the snow behind him. And he finds an infant in the ground uh, there crying and he picks him up, baptizes the infant and the baby dies. And he says the entire journey was worth it for this one soul. Uh, could you speak about that? Yeah, and, and baptism is by far the most important sacrament we need to push to people who are not baptized, obviously. And and yes, parents should baptize their children very soon. But the, the truth is we've sent a message by the way we treat baptism in the church. For example, I just saw where a um, some diet, I think it was in Canada or something, some diocese 
because of COVID restrictions, they're like, you have to delay back to, we're not going to have yeah. baptisms right now. That's crazy. And it's like, are you kidding me? There's literally nothing more important than baptizing somebody. I mean, there's nothing more important than that. And so I don't care if we have uh, the plague going on, we still need to baptize people. And you see this where, like, I've, I've heard of parishes that don't do baptisms during Lent. It's like, what are you talking about? Don't wait. You can't wait. Uh, fortunately, uh, praise God, I'm going to baptism this weekend of, of a godchild of mine, and she was just born a few days ago. And, and she's being Thanks baptized, you know, the, the, the parents are not waiting more. I think it's a week after the, after the birth is when the, the child's going to be baptized. And that's really what we need to get back to is you, you see families, they wait to baptize their kid until they can coordinate, you know, it's like six months later. Okay, now we can get the whole family in. That's not what's most important. The most important thing is that the kid gets baptized. You don't need to have, you know, everybody from all aspects of the country coming in for it. Get your children baptized. But I think those things send signals that baptism isn't that important. And so in extreme cases, like your friends, they don't even get baptized. So I think we need to catechize the, the Catholics of the importance of baptism and having your infant baptized ASAP. Don't, I mean, I know a friend of mine had his kid baptized, I think like three days after the, after the, the baby was born. Cause he's like, I'm not waiting around. And I think that's great. It, it tells the other kids in his family too, how important baptism is. Yeah. Super important. I, I have so many anecdotal stories that with all my kids getting them baptized, uh, sitting through these classes that you're required to take at the parish level, and they're going around the room, why are you here? And why are you here? And why are you? Oh, because this is what we do, and this is just, we just come to the church to christen our kid. I'm like, this is mind-boggling, you know, that we are allowing this type of thinking, and we don't take the moment to catechize them and to make them understand what is actually occurring here in this sacrament. Uh, I think it is definitely part of the problem. But let's turn with whatever we have left for time here, just about uh, three and a half, four minutes. Uh, let's turn with what can we do to turn the tide around? I think ultimately it comes back to what I was saying before. I really believe that we need to build local Catholic communities. I, I'm, I'm convinced that that is the path forward. I'm not going to change anything going on at the Vatican. I'm not going to change anything going on at the USCCB. Uh, but I can change my local Catholic community. By community, I don't just necessarily mean parish. I mean like the, you know, solid Catholic families in the area getting together on a regular basis, uh, maybe having a, a co you know, homeschooling, having a co-op, something like that, or, or having times you get together on feast days and things like that, working together to really build a Catholic community so your children are being raised with other Catholic children. I think that is the, the really the way we can turn things around. I do not, I'm not saying we don't work. Like, obviously I, I run crisis. I, I want to try to do things to help change like the USCCB and stuff like that. I'm not saying we don't do those, but the first thing we do is we, we start with ourselves, obviously prayer, penance, fasting, things like that. We go next to our family. We make sure we build that up. Then we go to our community, our parish, and we kind of work out like that. But if we're not doing ourselves and our family, all the stuff we're trying to do to affect, you know, maybe the, the global church or national church, it frankly is a waste of time. Mm. Eric Sammons is our guest. Deadly Indifference and How the Church Lost Her Mission and How We Can Reclaim It is his book, which, by the way, you can find linked up at ericsammons.com. That's ericsammons.com. Two minutes left in our conversation with you, Eric. Uh, should we should we enter into conversation or the uh, the, the well-loved word dialogue these days? Uh, should we enter into dialogue with our local ordinary about some of these, these issues that we find troubling at the parish level or at the diocesan level? or even on the world stage? 
I think it really depends on the situation because I think we're, we should be mature enough to realize that some bishops are going to listen, some are not. And if you're in a situation where you have a bishop that's not, not bad, I mean, he's not doing anything terrible. And again, I do think it can be worthwhile to try to enter into a discussion with them if there's something going on or maybe just improvement. I think the key, the key when we do that is twofold. Number one, is we have to recognize all of the burdens on a bishop and the difficulties. I mean, if they don't have the priest to do something, they just can't do it. Um, and secondly, we always have to be charitable and, and and try to approach them in a charitable method. That doesn't mean we don't call them out if they do something. If they, if they let Father James Martin, for example, speak at their diocese, it doesn't mean we don't like tell them directly that what they're doing is terrible. Mm. Uh, we just, we, we, we can still do that in a charitable way. So I think really, if we're understanding, if we are willing to help out ourselves, I mean, that's the one thing we go to your parish priest. Don't suggest more things for him to do. <laughs> Offer things that you can help do and, and you can make happen. Amen. Eric Sammons, Deadly Indifference. Check it out, ericsammons.com. Eric, thank you for your time today. We're very grateful to you. God love you. Have a great day. Thank you. God bless. All right. That's going to do it for hour number one of Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you can or would like to join us for our delayed second hour today, it's 9 a.m. Central, 10 Eastern. You can always hang out with us on our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. That's grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Otherwise, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning when we cover the Supreme Court hearing and the oral arguments. That's coming up. God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But as members of the body of Christ, he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2.19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord. Lord, Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations 19, 16. Scripture says that we have only one judge, Jesus Christ, James 4, verse 12. But Scripture tells us there is more than one judge, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Contradictions in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. 
Jesus is the only foundation. Jesus is the only Lord. And Jesus is the only judge. But we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore, we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern. Right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you.